0: This is HEC Media.
1: Welcome to Talking with Authors, a program dedicated to speaking with some of the best-selling authors around, covering many different genres. I'm your podcast host, Rod Milam, for HEC Media. With the help of independent bookstore Left Bank Books and the St. Louis County Library, we're able to sit down with amazing writers and thought leaders to discuss their work, their inspiration, and what makes them special. By the way, you can also watch video versions of most of these interviews by going to hecmedia.org. Now, after the initial weeks of the coronavirus global shutdown, we were able to set up remote interviews with many authors. Now, sound quality might be slightly different than our previous podcasts, but they still contain the same great content that you've come to expect. Today, our author is award-winning writer Bonnie Tsui, we spoke with her via Zoom in June of 2020 about her recent book, Why We Swim, by publisher Algonquin Books. Bonnie Tsui is a frequent contributor to the New York Times and California Sunday Magazine and has previously written a book about some of the Chinatowns that are around the United States. In her newest offering, however, she's focusing on humans and their relationship to the water. She's the daughter of two swimmers and grew up being a competitive swimmer herself.
0: When I was a kid, I loved the high of Competing, You know, you get up on the blocks and you'd be sort of shaking with excitement and your stomach is overturning. Then you, when the, the starting pistol goes off, you just, you expend it all in that race. And there's something very satisfying about that. What I love now is the camaraderie of like a relay race. I don't need that solo spotlight thing on me in a race situation.
1: And Why We Swim takes a look at the stories of a wide range of people from swimmers of all types around the world and goes into the reasons why they and other humans seem to have an innate attachment to the water. We'll go deeper into the subject of people and their draw to H2O in our conversation with award-winning writer Bonnie Tsui on this edition of Talking with Authors from HEC Media and HEC Books. Here's our host and interviewer this time, Angie Weidinger.
2: toy. thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Angie. How has it been for you during this quarantine? Because I know swimming is such a huge part of who you are. Have you been able to get out?
0: I have. Yesterday, we went to the ocean and we took the boys there and they were just in heaven, just playing in the waves. um, Could not get enough. It was freezing and they did not care. They would have been there all afternoon if we had you know, turn into popsicles. Um, But you know, that's the way kids are. And, and that says something to me, it's just a reminder of how water makes us want to play and makes us feel free. And and I think that seeing that, especially in this time, in this very strange moment in our lives, where we've been stilled for so long that to be in motion and to be in a medium that lets you do that, I think was very special for them. So I was so happy to see them like that.
2: <laughs> well, one of the things that I really enjoyed about your book is there are some incredible people that you introduce us to and incredible experiences, but then you went and did several of them. I mean, <laughs> swimming with, uh, diving for the abalone, swimming in Iceland, 3.7 miles, and then going into San Francisco Bay at 56 degree water without a wetsuit. Uh, why did you feel to, that you needed to experience all those things in writing this?
0: Um, that's a great question. I think that I, uh, with my journalism, with my magazine and newspaper journalism, and that's what I normally am doing when I'm not writing books. Um, I think there's something so valuable about participating in it on some level. Um, you know, certainly not with all stories, but with something like swimming and and certainly with a book about swimming I think that it's important for the writer, the narrator, the person who's guiding you through to have some very sensorily rich and acute visceral understanding of what it is that people who are in the book are doing and what they face. And so for me, it's part of the research. It's part of accessing the language uh, and the experiences to, to talk about them in a, in a vivid way.
2: Well, when you, I assume that, do you do the the no wetsuit swim in the bay very often?
0: I did do it quite a few times during the course of writing the book. And I did learn then with that, by doing that, that our bodies do acclimate to that water, that you do feel different from one time to the next to the next to the next. And that was something that I never thought that I would be able to understand, but it really is true. Well, I started swimming um, in the Bay, of course, uh, let's see, I guess it was now a few months ago, um, again, like when I couldn't swim in the pool. And I was, I thought about not wearing a wetsuit, but then really quickly decided that it was the right thing to do was to wear the wetsuit because I was not doing that i was not doing that base swimming on a regular basis and i didn't want to get into trouble out there and have any issue with anyone having to save me or having to um you know help me move through some kind of hypothermic state so so i think that just that that sense of being responsible when you're out there and i think that's a big part of being an open water swimmer is that you have to educate yourself on on your boundaries and when it's the right time to push through that a little bit, and so, yeah, I am not. I want it to be clear that I am not the be all and all open water swimmers. All of these folks at the Dolphin Club, South End Run Club, all these—basically, they are polar bears. Uh, they're they're year-round polar bear swimmers. You know, it's 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 incredible. Um, they really, are the ones who, yeah.
2: I can't. I, I want to talk to you about them, but I mean, because you even experience what they call—I've never heard of it—after drop. It's uh-huh. very. So tell me, explain what that is.
0: Sure. So most people know what hypothermia is. So your body temperature starts dropping, your core temperature starts dropping into a range where you cannot um, maintain your, your internal body heat. And, you know, it's dangerous because then that blood can start circulating to other places and cause all kinds of havoc. But when you are swimming in cold water, you may feel fine and you may not be hypothermic when you're swimming, it's when you exit the water, your body temperature can continue to drop um, even after you've left the water. And so I experienced this, um, and I I had been told about this from the swimmer, Kim Chambers, and I went into the shower at the Dolphin Club here in San Francisco, and I was cranking the water to the, you know, hot, hot, hot. And I could not get warm. That's when I started to lose control of my, um, extremities, just like uncontrollable shaking and knowing that, okay, let's say that hit when I was out in the water. I mean, that would have been a dangerous situation. Um, certainly I was very fortunate to have so many, um, knowledgeable swimmers kind of preparing me for how to, for how to handle it. And then the next time I went, I did not experience hyper, you know, that after drop. it was so interesting. Oh. Um, how our bodies are then, you know, I swam longer the second time and it just didn't happen. And it wasn't particularly, um, the temperature wasn't much different from the first time either. Um, but wow. it is interesting to observe how our bodies can adapt.
2: Well, and you even talk about, I mean, there are studies showing that cold water swimming can be beneficial even, right? That, I mean, obviously if you have certain health risks, it's not, but...
0: <laughs> right. Yes. You know, there are studies that show um, with cold water immersion that you have just this huge boost in like your dopamine levels. And of course, your metabolism is just jacked up. And all of these really fascinating things are happening physiologically to you. So it's a funny balance of like all these variables um, that we are just really beginning to learn about in, in some detail.
2: Wow, so, so very interesting to, (laughs) it wasn't enough, though, that you do it every day. (laughs) Good one off. Well, you said you did it a couple of times. You did it several times. I did it
0: it several times. Yeah. And I've been swimming in very cold water, um, you know, in other places, but it was interesting to see what happened um, when I did it regularly for a period of time for a period of weeks. You know, you you do get a sense of uh, wonder and wellness and just euphoria. I think from being your your body in this um, very acute state.
2: You mentioned Kim Chambers, and that's one of the characters who I just felt like in reading the book that I got to know her. And she sounds like a pistol. She. she
0: oh, that's a great word for her.
2: She is a ultra. What, what do you call her? A water marathoner? Is that a
0: marathon you- swimmer? Yeah. Marathon swimmer. She's Who's a world record holding marathon swimmer who was the first woman to swim from the Farallons to San Francisco, which is a 30-mile journey in open water. And she has done all other manner of amazing swims. Um, but she only realized she only kind of became a swimmer after almost losing her leg in a creek accident and then started swimming to rehab herself. And her story is just, to me, really one of the most special ones in the book in that it shows us what we are capable of and how water can be healing and how swimming can change many of our lives. But this one woman's life, she calls the day that she first went into the bay. It was her rebirth. It was her entry into a new phase of her life.
2: You became quite close with her and, and several of the characters from writing this book, right?
0: Yes, I did. Um, the, I think that you are alluding to Good Ligger Frid Thorsen. Good, um, you said
2: it so that I didn't have to... Yeah, exactly.
0: I knew, I, I could read, I see you. <laughs> um, so Good looker Fred Thorsen is um, an Icelandic fisherman um, and his story opens the book and it's a story that my husband told me one night over dinner and that really captivated me and kind of actually pulled me into this book project I think. He is an Icelandic fisherman who in 1984 his fishing vessel capsized and everyone on board perished except for him and he ended up swimming um, six kilometers over six hours in 41 degree water in you know in Iceland and survived to tell the tale and part of that is because he was so physiologically extraordinary in that he has a body fat that resembles that of a seal's in that it's two to three times normal human thickness and more solid and so to kind of follow up on our conversation about hypothermia it was able to keep his core body temperature stable for the six hours of swimming and think about it for for a normal person um, the rest of us humans 20 to 30 minutes we in that temperature water we would be we would be done for and so he was able to maintain his body temperature as he was swimming he's also clearly a very good swimmer to be able to swim in in, you know six hours in this um you know in these crazy conditions and make it to his home island he followed the the lighthouse Um, the light of where he's from, um, this island called Heime in in Vesmania, which is the Westman Islands off of the coast of Maine, Iceland. And he survived and he worked with these uh, Icelandic and British scientists to kind of boost our understanding of, of the human body and how it reacts to and responds to and deals with hypothermia. And if, as you can imagine, Go the Good became something of a curiosity to many, many people around the world. I mean, Johnny Carson called him, wanted him to come on the show. And uh, he wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to publicize, you know, safety measures that he thought would be should be in place for the fishing industry and you know he, he lost his friends and before everyone drowned they talked about you know if one of them would survive and make it they had to tell what happened and so he did that he fulfilled an obligation that he felt very strongly about but also you know eventually it's a tragedy that you want to deal with personally and then privately and you want to move on and live your life and so he's been doing that and he had not been really talking to journalists for many years. And I wanted to respect that desire at the same time that I, I really wanted to hear from him, you know, not just from people around him or about him. And I felt, so, you know, a journalistic Draw to at least ask, and so I sent him a letter. (laughs) I sent him a letter, and then I Google translated it into Icelandic, and then I (laughs) mailed it. And you know, he wrote back, and we began writing to each other. And I, I am very thankful that he wrote back. You know, and we have become great friends. And you know, I think that um, this. You know that friendship means a lot to me, and I think it means a lot to him too. And I'm grateful for that. And and sometimes writing and uh, journalism can allow those connections to happen.
2: Well, the other character that I that I really loved hearing a story was Jay Taylor. Oh yeah, uh, all oh, the people yeah. that he influenced, boy. So so you you got to meet him. Through all of this, and and yeah. well, he must have a treasure trove of stories.
0: He's a great storyteller, and he's just, as you can imagine, um, someone who really valued and cared about the community he was a part of in Baghdad. You know, so this uh, he started this swim club in Baghdad um, during in two thousand eight when he was there serving with the foreign service, um, and ended up teaching these swimming lessons to. People from all around the world, of all walks of life, U.N. peacekeepers, soldiers, translators, local Iraqis, um, everyone had some common uh, place to start from in that they may, wanted to be better swimmers, in that they had never really learned to swim or wanted to be better. And he did that for them, I, and, and, and he brought them all together together in the water in a way that I think in a place where rules are so important, um, especially in a combat zone where there was so much uncertainty, there was so much danger and there was some normalcy that, that right. they really, um, that was very valuable there.
2: The other person that I loved hearing about was uh, Dara Torres. And, <laughs> Cause I mean, you know, to watch her on the screen, then they, you got to speak with her and, and she's one of your heroes, Right.
0: I mean, she's just uh, bad. She's my hero. <laughs> I mean, she's she, incredible. I remember watching her in her fifth Games where she was just touched out for that 15-year yeah. freestyle. And I just remember thinking: sh- this is her fifth Olympics. She's 41 years old. She's seated first in the final. And it was just heartbreaking that she lost by one one-hundredth of a second. It was just brutal. But she's just a phenomenal competitor and someone who I wanted to get into her head. I wanted her to invite me in and talk about what it is that has had driven her to unretire three times. And,
2: <laughs> right. you know. So, I mean, what was it like for you to, you know, that initial phone call? Were, were you, I mean, was the, you know, as a journalist, you get to really have access. Yeah incredible she
0: was um she was so funny because uh she immediately put me at ease because she's like i'm in the car i'm driving i'm getting, uh, and then she's talking and she's so she was very normal at the same time she's very abnormal um and right. so in that first phone call i remember she was driving and it was great because we were talking about what you think about when you're swimming and she said oh you know i'm doing like a million different things at once usually and it's great because like when i get in the in the water you know, sometimes I think about all those things, but then sometimes I just think about nothing. I really liked getting both, you know, viewpoints, where she's such the most driven ultimate competitor, and yet she's still able to find um, the blankness in the water.
1: Coming up in a moment, we'll continue to hear from Bonnie Swee Sui about swimming traditions from around the world, and we'll hear more about how she wrote the book and for whom.
0: I wanted this book to be for swimmers. I also wanted it to be a book that was for people who did not see themselves that way, who were curious about our relationship with water, whether or not it's good or bad, whether or not it's fearful or joyful, that there is something in this book that is illuminating for those people and their relationship with water, too.
1: That and a reading from the book Why We Swim by Bonnie Tsui. When Talking with Authors continues from HEC Media.
2: Educate Today offers an ever-growing library of the highest quality video resources, curriculum materials, and interactive programs, all of which are designed to challenge thinking, inspire creativity, and empower learning of students, educators, parents, and lifelong learners. And you can find out more about all these programs by going online to educate.today. That's educate.today. You've done competitive swimming for years, but it's not your favorite, right? It's
0: not my favorite thing. Um, I think that when I was a kid, I loved the high of competing. I loved this—you know—you get up on the blocks and you would be sort of shaking with excitement, and your stomach is overturning. And you then you, when the the starting pistol goes off, you just you expend it all in that race. And there's something very satisfying about that. And like training up for a thing and then. And then going, and then I what I really love, um, I I think about this now. What I love now that I that I love then, is the camaraderie of like a relay race. Like I just think that I don't need that solo spotlight thing on me in the water or in a race situation. I love to be in the water. I love to be with my friends in the pool and and at practice, masters practice now, and I really miss that. And so when I go out to surf or when i go out to swim open water i see my my swimming friends and we're at a distance you know we're socially distant swimming but it is still that we get to chat we get to check in with each other we get to see how each other's doing and even if we talk for like two minutes it's something that our connection over this thing that we love we get both of those things we get the community and we also get the um the time with ourselves uh when we're underwater and i think um, it's a strange sport right like when you think about it that it's not just all or one like all one or the other um, and um, I don't really miss competition even though my coach Carol would would say aren't you gonna compete in that uh, she always asked me she said there's a there's a meet coming up there's a you know master's championship meet and I think maybe maybe a relay <laughs> I did do you know as if you read the book as you did you will know that I did, do it but then I learned that I didn't need to do it anymore um, you know there's, there's I'm, I'm older I'm different I swim for different reasons now and I think that's um, I'm happy for that
2: yeah it's more that status update with yourself like, exactly right that makes sense well as I mentioned earlier there are so many things there's so many things in this book that I felt like was. <laughs> it's the did you know moments so, right? <laughs> bugging my friends probably, but encouraging them to read it. But one of the did you know sections of the book that I found fascinating was kind of the evolution of the swim strokes and the samurai swimming, which I didn't even know existed. So interesting. Um,
0: So, yes, the samurai. Well, you know, we were talking about how um, not that many people knew about the Icelandic fishermen fewer people know about samurai swimming. <laughs> so for those who don't know, which is probably many of you, there's a section of the book that has to do with samurai swimming, which is basically Nihon Eho, which is the Japanese swimming martial art. And just like judo or kendo, that there is like a discipline where you have a master, you have different schools of swimming, there's different strokes that you can um, uh, uh, that you specialize in for in each school and and there is a practice a martial arts practice basically that is in the water with the under you 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 are a student you are a pupil under a master and you train up through you know like you can get different belts you can get different achieve different skill levels and it's like in this cap It's signified by like a stripe or some kind of marking on your cap. It's really interesting. And um, so how it all began was um, hundreds of years ago during the Japanese feudal period where there would be samurai clans defending different parcels of land. And inevitably some of those uh, lands would be on the coast or on a river or on a lake or whatever. And in order to defend that coastline or that shoreline they had to become pretty masterful with swimming and swimming skills so it was on the ocean that they would learn how to sight uh through waves and and swim in a way that they could keep their heads up and and, and plow through cut through the force of a breaking wave or in a very tranquil lake situation that you could see enemies coming towards you but also sneak up on them by swimming very you know, under the surface and, and not creating many ripples. And so all of there these great strokes. One of the signal ones in the book is about the egg beater uh, kick, like from synchronized swimming where you're treading water, that that movement and that style of kicking is, is described in samurai scrolls from hundreds of years ago. But that,
2: they could, and, and, and like shooting arrows and things while an they're arrow, Right.
0: So that you would be treading water and you could be still enough when you're doing it to shoot arrows, keep the arrows dry and find their targets. So, and also wear many pounds of armor. Read the book, and you'll find out about it.
2: <laughs> there you go. I I saw that um, you also you made a playlist for this book. I
0: did. So- I had um, kind of been collecting some songs over the course of writing the book that I really liked and would occasionally listen to. Um, that had to do with swimming or water or immersion or some sense of the metaphor of water. And then, um, you know, music is, I don't play music myself, but I am a great appreciator and listener of music. And I, I just love how it can create the mood. And so I listen to music when I'm writing very often. um, And that sometimes I would listen to these songs to put me into a place where I could, you know, access the things that I wanted to access, the emotions or the um, moods or just the, you know, you you get floated to a place where you can make connections.
2: That's what I was going to ask you, if that's kind of helped you kind of set the mood. Was there anything else that you did to kind of help in your writing?
0: Um, I swam. (laughs) I mean, it was really a funny thing to swim, to write about it. For most of the book I was, you know, reporting on other people, reporting on scenes, reporting on things that happened, and that's something that's normal to me. But there's the final section of the book is flow. And so much of that section of the book is about ideas, it's about philosophy, it's about poetry, it's about our just our creative thought and how we access it to, you know, apropos to our conversation. Now, and I would try to remember what it was that I would be thinking about when I would be swimming or um, how it feels or what it is that it's doing to me and so I would go to the pool in the morning and I would get in and I would start swimming and then I would say to myself what am I thinking about now (laughs) you know I'm not taking notes on it but I would sort of play you know some Ideas in my head, and and it really was a, a very strange and wonderful experience. It's like this meta, 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 you know. Yeah. uh, and and to um, note take in that way, and to think about it, and then I would repeat it to myself, and then I would get out, and then I would jot down on my phone.
2: Right, right. Oh, that's great. Well, so I, I guess what I was curious about is. At the end of this, what do you want the takeaway to be for people? And and obviously, we want people to read it. We don't want to give it all away. But what, what kind of is your takeaway for people?
0: I wanted this book to be for swimmers, for people who very clearly see swimming as a thing that is a part of them, it's a part of their lives. I also wanted it to be a book that was for people who did not see themselves that way. Who were curious about humanity, you know, about our relationship with water, whether or not it's good or bad, whether or not it's fearful or joyful. That that there's something in this book that is illuminating for for those people and their relationship with water too. So that's what I wanted to do with this book, and what I would wish for the takeaway to be is that that they have the reaction that you had, which was like did you know? Or like, I didn't know. Or some pushing through to a new understanding of something that we thought we already knew everything
2: about. Well, I'm wondering too, what, what's next for you? Did I see that you're writing a children's book?
0: I am. I actually just, I have written the children's book. And so now the illustrator has been working um, on the illustrations. And like, your timing is impeccable. Because just this morning, I got the art and I'm just over the moon. I love it so much. Um, so that's uh, slated to come out next spring. And it's, a, and it's a book that's called Sarah and the Big Wave. And it's about um, the first uh, woman to surf Mavericks, which is this big um, and famous surf break here in California.
2: Well, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been a blast.
0: Angie, it was so fun. I would do this with you anytime. <laughs>
2: Thanks.
1: Bonnie Swee on her current and future books. Now, to close out our podcast, we'll listen to Bonnie once again as she reads a passage from her book, Why We Swim, a part of the book where she partner swims in seemingly very cold water.
0: Immediately, as I stroke through the first hundred yards, the surface of my skin starts generating a peculiar prickly heat. It's a kind of ice fire flaming its way all over my body. It lasts for about 60 seconds. And then... Well, I feel fine. We swim around Hyde Park Pier and turn parallel to the shore, following the line of buoys west across the cove toward Aquatic Park Pier. Our swim is punctuated every now and again by Kim's signature whoops. Every dozen breaths or so, to mark her enthusiasm for the whole venture. More than once, Kim has told me that there's a high to being in the rousingly crisp water, with just what we came into the world with and a bit of lycra. And it's true. In my skin, I feel more than fine. I feel great, amazing, alive. The sky clears. We pause at the far side buoy, the one planted with a flag and thermometer to check in with each other. Other swimmers join us at the flag, and as we tread water together, it's like a little tea party out there. By then, I don't feel cold at all.
1: That's award-winning author Bonnie Tui Reading from her book, Why We Swim, by publisher Algonquin Books, when we spoke with her in June of 2020. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Talking With Authors. Remember, you can watch most of the episodes of this program by going online to hecmedia.org. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. Just search for Talking With Authors on all social media platforms. And if you haven't done so yet, please rate and review this program wherever you get your podcasts. The host and producer of the video version of this program was Angie Weidinger. Video editing was by Peter Foggy graphics by Greg Kopp, supervising producer was Julie Winkle, production support by Christina Chastain, HEC Media executive director is Dennis Riggs, the Talking with Authors podcast executive producer is Christina Chastain, podcast audio editing by Ben Smith, and I'm Rod Milam, your podcast producer and host. Special thanks to Surf Simply, St. Louis County Library, and Left Bank Books. Again, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.
0: This is HEC Media. You wake up, you get dressed, you prepare for a day of challenging and inspiring young minds, but maybe all you get is frustration and anxiety. You are a teacher. In the Classroom Matters podcast, we discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of education. We talk to people such as Kim Bearden, co-founder of the Ron Clark Academy, Ken Williams, creator of Unfold the Soul, Teacher of the Year Beth Davey, and so many more insightful educators. Because your voice matters, your experience matters, your classroom matters. Classroom Matters with Christy Hool, a new podcast from Educate.today. Subscribe and download now.